got a subject on my mind, and I would like to use this illustration. Have you ever seen a, uh, a jigsaw puzzle that is missing one piece? When we were little, Brother Kyle says, yes, I have, okay. When, when, when my boys were little, sometimes on an on evening we'd try to put together a jigsaw puzzle and sometimes they'd have 5,000, or not 5,000, 500 or 1,000 pieces. And when the girls were really small, like, like one and two and three years old, they'd say, can we help? And that was never a good thing when they were little because when we'd get that whole thing done, there'd be one or two missing right there in the middle. And there's nothing more irritating than looking at a jigsaw puzzle with one or two pieces missing. Well, I'd like to look at that and describe that as us and describe us with as maybe a picture with one piece missing. And I would like to call that one piece a hole. And there's only one kind of piece that will fill that. You can't just jam any piece in that one little puzzle piece. It's got to be the right shape. It's got to be the right color. It's got to be the right print. And a lot of times we have a hole in us. I call it a God-shaped hole. And over time, we try to jam all kinds of things in there. Sometimes we'll draw and put in entertainment or we'll put in music. Or I know people that try to put in alcohol or maybe narcotics or, or, or maybe uh, uh, money or power or prestige. But there's only one thing that fills a God-shaped hole, and that's God. And we try our best to jam other things in there, but it always leaves us empty. Well, I'd like to read this passage here in John chapter 4, and, and I'm going to use this illustration of the Samaritan woman in a very narrow context. We're going to be talking about a person that's already born of God, a person that's already got the Spirit in them, but is still looking to fill that God-shaped hole. All right? So that's my illustration, and here we go. John 4, and let's start reading here at verse 5. John 4 and verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria. The he here is Jesus Christ. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now that's high noon. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? And the Jews having no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the, knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou living water? Art thou great than our father? I'm sorry, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof, and his children, and his cattle? 
And Jesus answered and said unto her, and I believe this is my figure, he's talking about that God-shaped hole in that woman. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in, a, in him a well of water springing up into in, in everlasting life. I've looked at folks throughout time, and not only in my life, but also in history. And I don't know if you've ever read the story of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered nearly the whole known civilized world. And it was incredible how quickly he conquered all those lands. But you know what happened when he hit his 30s and he had conquered everything he knew to conquer? He looked at life and he said, what's next? There was nothing left. Why? Because conquer and power and prestige ultimately will not give you true happiness. We can come to the modern day. And I think of a guy in the Atlanta area. His name is Ted Turner. He's a billionaire. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. But when he was a boy, his father was very hard on him. And he always wanted to prove his dad, I can make it. And he built up companies and sold companies and built up other companies and made millions and millions and millions of dollars. All to prove to his dad, see, I'm a man. I can do it. And at the end of his life, or not that he's still alive, but at near the end of, of his father's life, his father died and he had all this wealth and all this power and all this prestige and all this lands. And he looked around and he says, you know what? I got nothing. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to take money and power and shove it into a God-shaped hole and it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Let's go put, put a ribbon here. We're coming back to John 4. Right here, John 4. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 2. Here's another man that tried to shove stuff into a God-shaped hole. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 2, and let's look at all the things Solomon tried to shove in his God-shaped hole. Now, this is my fourth Sunday with you as your pastor. I think you're trying to get the pattern of the way I try to preach and illustrate things. I sit there and all week long I try to think of illustrations that try to make things so plain that you can get it. So if you think of that puzzle piece missing, you think of Alexander the Great, you think of Ted Turner, now let's look at Solomon. I think Solomon was a God, man chosen of God. He's a born again child of God. When God said, I'll give you anything, he says, I want wisdom to judge your people. Wow. Just think of all the things you would ask for. He would did that to the glory of and honor of God. So life's going on, and here he comes, and let's read this, and let's look at all the stuff he's trying to put in his God-shaped hole. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Actually, let's start at chapter 1 and verse 16, okay? Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 16. And I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been in me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of the spirit, for in much wisdom is much in I'm sorry, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. 
my current home is in Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia is where the University of Georgia, Georgia is. And there's a lot of professors and a lot of scholars and a lot of PhDs. A lot of very smart people. And a lot of very empty people. They try to get information and they try to get knowledge and they try to get all these letters after their name and they think they're going to, once they arrive, they're going to have peace. They graduate, they go down the aisle, they get their pigskin, they wear their hat, they turn the tassel over, and at the end they go, I got it. And the joy is for about one day. One day. You know what Solomon here was trying to do? He, and he's got a he, picture of that jigsaw puzzle. And you got that funny shaped piece, and there's only one shape that fits in that piece, and that's God. And they try to put a diploma in there, and it doesn't work. Let's keep on reading and some of the other things he tried to put in his God-shaped hole. Chapter 2 and verse 1. I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. You know what I'm going to try to plug my hole with? Laughing. Jokes. Levity. Bill Cosby. You know, whoever the comedian you like. I'm going to try to plug it with him. Well, laugh is good. It actually is good medicine for the heart. But a couple of minutes go by and you need another joke. And I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. See, he tried to fill his God-shaped hole with alcohol. Think that's going to work? Nope, sooner or later the alcohol wears off and you wake up with a headache. Yet, acquainting mine heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see that was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. That didn't work. Verse 4. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I know if I could just build my dream home, then I'll be happy. I know if I can just get this garden going and get this and win awards at the county fair and do all this other stuff, then I'll be happy. The house gets built, the blue ribbons are hung on the wall, and you look and you're using a tomato or a plant or a pig or a cow or a heifer to try to fill your God-shaped hole. It brings you a little bit of joy, but ultimately that's not what's going to let you sleep at night and go through trials. Verse 5. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds. I made me pools of water to water, wherewith the wood that might bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and I had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure of kings in the provinces. I get me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. You think you've got a good CD selection? He could go in the back room in the dormitory and says, you sing for me. You play a musical instrument for me. He had the actual entertainers and he could call them anytime he wanted. Empty. Empty. Verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. And you know what that included? It included women. The way I figured it, he had close to a thousand wives, concubines and wives. That didn't give it to him. I withheld not my heart from any joy, 
For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works of mine hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of the spirit. There was no profit under the sun. My friends, any of these things in and of themselves are not wrong. What makes them wrong is when you take something to try to fill a God-shaped hole other than God. That's going to leave you empty. You know, it's putting a round peg in a square hole or a square peg in a round hole. It just doesn't work. And how many times do we try to do that? When the ultimate clear is just dropping to our knees and going to God. Okay, we're talking about this God-shaped hole. Let's go back to John 4. <clears throat> John 4. I think of a time, you know, thinking of, of, of some of the people. There was a time, and it's a recording. It, <coughs> excuse me. In 1 Samuel 16, Saul was a mess. He was really melancholy. One day his uh, servants were looking at him, and there was Saul, and he was in one of his moods. And he said, I know. Let's get you some music. So they looked and they scoured the countryside and they found this little boy, this young man, that could play the harp. His name was David. And they tapped David on the shoulder and they said, David, come play for King Saul. He's in a mess and he's a terrible state. So David, who was a very skilled harper, harpist, comes and plays the music and he heard the music and it says the evil spirit left him and he was happy. How long did that last? What was going to take to get Saul in that right mind? He needed to get right with God. That music was a temporary fix. Just like alcohol or drug is a temporary fix. Just like winning the lottery is a temporary fix. There's a thing, This I don't know if there's a lottery here in Virginia, but there is back in Georgia. And someone did a study of every lottery winner that they had. I'm talking about the Mega Millions. Every one of them's life was absolutely miserable afterwards. There's a proverb about that. Wealth gotten in a quick way that wasn't earned makes you miserable. And that's exactly what happened. That doesn't give you happiness. What does give you the happiness? Let's go back to, to John and uh, 4, John 4. I put my ribbon there. <clears throat> we stopped reading at 14. Let's start at verse 15. John 4 and verse 15. The woman saith unto him, let me read 13 and 14 again. Basically, God's saying, you know what? Jesus is saying to this young lady. I don't know if she's young, this woman. Saying, you know what? I'm going to give you the thing that can plug your God-shaped hole. The woman saith unto him, sir, give me this puzzle piece. Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And he said unto her, Thou hast said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. Now I'm doing some speculating here. But guess what this, I think this woman used to plug her God-shaped hole. I think she tried to use men. She went through five men, and now she's on number six. She just kept on going from one to one. This is a real-life story, okay? I want to be everything I can to be my wife. 
to, to my wife, okay? But I can't fill her God-shaped hole. I'm going to disappoint her every single time. I'm going to do my best to be the husband of the Bible. But only Jesus Christ can be her Lord and Savior. Okay? Don't look to me to fill that hole because I'll disappoint her. And same thing vice versa. What I look to do for my wife. She could be everything, this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. But if I'm looking to her to plug my God-shaped hole, she's going to come far short and I'm going to get mad and frustrated at her. Because that's God that fills that hole. Okay? Matter of fact, let's stop here. I think of two more women. There was a woman named Sarah. Remember Sarah? Over in Genesis 16. Sarah wanted a baby so bad. And what did she do? She went to her husband and she said, Abraham, give me a baby. And he couldn't do it. And he says, here, here's my concubine. I know. I'll fill my God-shaped hole through a baby from my concubine. Abraham goes under this concubine. The baby's born. Do you think Ishmael filled Sarah's God place, God hole, God filled hole? Absolutely not. She was still empty. There was another woman. Her name was Hannah. First Samuel chapter one. Now, let's go there and let's look at that one. I'm sorry, I said we're going to go to John four. Let's look at Hannah for a second. This, this is this is too good not to go read it. Hannah got joy. But I believe Hannah, through the process, got God to fill her God-shaped hole. All right? Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I might as well just read the whole story and get the account. I'm in, uh, I'm in Ruth. That's why it didn't make sense. I want 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and let's start reading at verse 2. Brother Danny, this is for you, because we talked about this woman last night, Penina. Okay. All right? But let's start here at chapter 1 and verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 2. Hannah is not happy. And, and she's yearning. And there's nothing wrong with a woman wanting a baby. But if you're looking for that baby to fill your God-shaped hole, it's not going to work. Having a baby is an incredible blessing from the Lord. It's a miracle that I, I just don't know how to describe. But it's not God. All right? So we're looking here at Hannah. We're looking here at verse 2. And he had two wives. This is Elkina. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went out, up out of the city yearly to worship, to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanan offered, he gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, portions. But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Now we're going to read about Hannah, and we're going to read she can't eat, and she can't sleep, and she's just crying all the time. Let's read this. She's got, she's got a void. 
And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Elkanah, you're a great husband. Matter of fact, sometimes when I see my wife's upset and I had a hard day, I go the other way. I'm not getting involved in that, okay? Now, if I really love my wife, I would. And Elkanah's doing that. And here she is, and she's grieved, and he, he, he enters in, and he engages, and he says, What's wrong, Hannah? I can't have a baby. But, but, but aren't I filling the void? I'm a husband, and I'm giving you these portions, and I'm treating you like a queen. But I can't have a baby. Elkanah is saying, what he doesn't recognize is that's a God-shaped hole that needs to be filled. Hannah thinks the baby's going to fill it. He thinks, I've done it. No, you're coming up short, buddy. You're a great husband, but you're still coming up short. Okay, let's go. So Hannah starts off in the right direction. She seeks the face of the Lord. Now, it turns out the Lord's going to answer her request. But I think in answering her request and seeking the Lord, Hannah's God-shaped hole is filled with God. We're going to look at the prayer she offers up in the beginning of chapter 2. That is not by a woman that's just happy because she's going to get a baby and then she's going to have to give it up as soon as it's weaned. And she can do it. Why? Because her God-shaped hole has been filled with God. Let's look. Verse 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul <clears throat> and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying, before the mouth, that Eli marked her mouth. And Eli and this Hannah has a conversation, and Hannah's praying in such a stupor that Eli thinks she's drunk. I mean, that's how emotional and how this woman's drank too much. And the woman says, and Hannah says, no, I haven't drunk in a thing. And Eli says, okay, Lord, peace be on you. The Lord grant your require and, and, and pray. And, 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 and then we come to the place, and let's go to chapter 2, and let's look at this prayer. My friends, I don't think this is a prayer simply by a woman that is now pregnant. Yes, she's been pregnant. She's going to have to give up the baby as soon as it's done. But look at this prayer. And Hannah prayed and saith, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none holy beside thee. There is none, there is there, I'm sorry, neither is there any rock like our God. You know what she's done? She's found the Lord to plug her God-shaped hole. God has plugged her God-shaped hole. All right. What I'd like to do is I want to talk about this in our lives. I want to, I want to make the application to us 
when we go home today, when we go to work tomorrow, when we go to school tomorrow, how? Where, where do we look to fill our God-shaped hole? Okay, have, have, okay. Let, let, let's go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Let's, let's start at the beginning and see how it happened. Genesis 1 and 27. Genesis 1 and 27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created a male and female created he him. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, comma, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And we come down here to the very end in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. In the beginning, God created Adam, and I believe Adam was whole. Adam and God were tight. They had a good relationship. It was perfect. But then what happened was in chapter 3, let's go to chapter 3. I think Adam got a bright idea. Adam got the bright idea and says, you know what? I know I have a good relationship with the Lord. I'm going to try to stick something else in my God-shaped hole. Now, I know I'm using my own interpretation and my figurative language, but, but, but I think that's kind of what happened. So let's start here in Genesis 3. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Ye may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Satan told a big fat whopper of a lie. And God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both were of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves, and so on in the story. Adam was made good. He was whole, W-H-O-L-E. He fell. How did he fall? He wanted to become his gods. And I believe that he no longer, for that time, had a choice and says, you know what? I'm going to try to stick something else in my God-shaped hole. And he wanted eternity. He wanted to be a God. As Satan offered him and Satan lied to him. And when that thing happened, there was a fall. And after the fall, there was a separation. There was two kinds of separation. One separation was relationship-wise. And the other one was fellowship-wise. Now we read the story. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Yeah, I've got to go back and listen to some of the things I've preached before. Maybe some of the other things I'll preach to you. But basically what happened was God the Father, God Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit took care of the relationship part. God adopted us. and Jesus Christ died for us. He paid all the debt. He made the atonement. The Holy Spirit birthed us again. He took care of the relationship. We've become sons. 
But there's still that fellowship there. The fellowship's still not there. Genesis 3 and verse 23. Therefore the Lord sent him out, I'm sorry, forth from the Garden of Eden, until the ground whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, and turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. There was a separation. God and Adam were separate. We still need that fellowship with the Lord. I still need that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to fill my God-shaped hole. All right. We're talking about born-again children of God. Can you think of anybody in the Bible that, that, that was born of God and said, I've got this hole in me. I want to fill it. You know what comes to mind? The eunuch. The eunuch over there in Acts chapter 8. I believe he was already touched by God. He was searching for truth. Think about that eunuch. He was a big shot. He was the treasurer of the country of Ethiopia. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of authority. He had a lot of prestige. And here he is, and he's doing his treasury stuff over here in Ethiopia. And he goes to his queen, a woman named Candace, or Candice, and he said, Miss Queen, I got this hole in my heart, and I want to go on a search to find it and to fill it. And she says, okay, I'm going to give you a sabbatical. You can go to Jerusalem. So we read about the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He gets in his chariot, and he goes all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem. That's a long drive without air conditioning, and a soft car. And he drives out of the way, and he gets up to Jerusalem, and he's trying to fill his God-shaped hole with God. Reading at verse 27, Acts 8 and 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candice, Queen of Ethiopia, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning, and sitting in his chariot read, Isaiah the prophet. I, I, I quote J.R. Rakes. Every time I read this passage, I quote Brother J.R. Rakes. He says the eunuch went to Jerusalem the same way he came. No, he didn't come up I-81 and return on I-81. He went up confused and he left confused. He went to Jerusalem the same way he came. He went to Jerusalem and he didn't find any answers. So he's on his way back home in his chariot. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou... What thou readest. And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? The elders and the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they didn't help him. How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh this, of this prophet, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. You know what filled his God-shaped hole? Jesus filled his God-shaped hole. And look what happens. Look at the response. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hath hindered me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. Here it is. His God-shaped hole is filled, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, do you think if the, 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 uh, the, the queen of Egypt says, I want you to be my treasure too, and now you're going to have twice as much power being a treasure, his God-filled hole would have been filled with power and authority and prestige? I don't think it would be. He went up searching, looking to have his God-filled hole filled, didn't get it done in church, got back and found it in Scripture. To me, that's, that's a blessing. You know, there's another man that I believe had a God-shaped hole and was searching for it. That man's name is Nicodemus. Let's go to John chapter 3. Let's go to John chapter 3. Now, Nicodemus has a little bit of a problem. He's afraid. My boys, when they were little, used to say, he's a scared. He was a scared. What was he afraid of? He's afraid of man. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Picture the scene. Here's Nicodemus. And he's, a, he's another big shot. Lord's going after big shots here, huh? A treasure and now a priest. Here's Nicodemus. and Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. And Nicodemus is sitting down with all the other priests. And all of a sudden he hears this man preach. And something happens to Nicodemus that evidently didn't happen to some of the other Pharisees and preachers and teachers and leaders of the men. And he's sitting there and he's looking. And he's looking at Jesus and he hears Jesus preach. And something clicks. And he says, wow, something's going on. Either he's explaining the Old Testament like he never had it explained before. Or, or, or he's convicting him or he's giving him insight into scripture which he never saw before. I don't know exactly what's going on. But it was enough where Nicodemus said, i got to talk to this guy. I, 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 I'm, guess, I'm guessing now Nicodemus has got this God-shaped hole in the law, in the sacraments, all, the, all those old things just wouldn't do the job. But the same time, he's got all his buddies here, and he says, I can't let them see me being unhappy with where I'm at. So it says he goes to Jesus by night. Let's look. Nic Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, and no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, Nicodemus, I know you're born again. You're seeing some things, and only people that are born of God can see these things. And now that you see these things, you understand you got this hole. And what I find is really neat when we go forward to chapter 7, there's a time when Jesus is preaching, and Nicodemus is sitting back with all his leaders again. And he's sitting with his leaders, and, and they're saying, what should we do with this Jesus? He's turning people against us. And Nicodemus peeks up, peeps up and says, you know what? He's a righteous man. It's, it's kind of like in chapter 3, he's scared. He goes to them by night, and then they have this great big business meeting. They're having this business meeting, and he puts a little toe in the water, and he says, Jesus is a good guy. Then we go to John chapter 19, and when Jesus died, and when Jesus was being buried, you know what Nicodemus says? He says, I want that body. I want to bury that body. You're talking about being scared and going tonight. You're talking about sticking a toe in the water and says, I think he's okay. To stepping forward and says, I want that body to go bury him. You know what happened? He's being converted. And I believe as time goes on, now this is all my speculation. He's hearing Jesus preach, and he's going back to the daily rituals of what he's heard all his life. And all of a sudden, you know what? That stuff's not filling his God-shaped hole anymore. He got a taste of Jesus, and only Jesus was going to do that. While we're in John, let's go to John chapter 9. I think here's another guy that had his God-shaped hole filled. There, there, was, there was something going on in the book of John. I can't remember how many times. It seems like there's about eight or nine times where it was talking about people that didn't follow the Lord because they were afraid of people. John, John or Nicodemus was one of them. But here we are in John 9. Jesus Christ is going to heal a blind man. John 9 and verse 18. He heals this blind man. And the Jews just—they're just mad. This, this, this poor kid, this poor young man's been blind since death. Instead of the Jews saying, "Glory," he said, "How dare this guy?" They were mad because of that healing. Jesus was getting a following, and the Jews were mad. So the first thing they did is they interrogate the young man, and they said, "How did this happen?" Then they interrogate the neighbors, and they go. Is this really the guy? Was he really been blind since death? He says, we can't accept the miracle. So then they go to the parents. Is this your boy? Is what he's telling you true? They're, they're doing everything they can to discount Jesus. Chapter 9 and verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, whom he say was born blind? How then doth he thou see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. I'm confirming these facts. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. You know what they're doing? They're fence straddling. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak. For himself. For those words, these words spoke his parents because they feared the Jews. 
for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Here's the blind man's parents. You know what they were using to fill God-shaped hole? They were using the synagogue. You think their life was full? And here's the young guy that was healed. And here's his mom and dad. Mom and dad's ditching him. Can you believe that? Mom and dad throwing him out. You've been blind since you've been born. They've been taking care of you, been begging all your life. And now you can see, and then mom and dad ditches me? So here he is. Here, here they are. They're in the church. Now this is my speculation again. Here's the guy that was healed. And says, mom and dad, you want to go back to that system? You think that system's going to fill your God-shaped hole? I just talked with Jesus. I just had fellowship with Jesus. And we read the account, and it's a glorious account. Here's a poor kid that was a beggar all his life, and then he goes toe-to-toe with these Pharisees and said, Jesus did it. He's the only thing that'll do it for you. And he starts preaching to him Jesus. Why? Because his God-shaped hole had been filled with Jesus. My friends, we need Jesus to fill our God-shaped hole. Nothing else is going to do it. The tradition of men is not going to do it. Now I'm thankful for a group that's called Mount Olive Primitive Baptist Church. But you know what? This building will not fill your God-shaped hole. The doctrine of Jesus Christ will. Jesus Christ will. I'm glad the building's here. But I hope we never get to a place where a physical thing is filling our God-shaped hole. It better be the Lord and His truth. Okay, let's let's go back to John 4. John 4. That's where we started. John 4. I think we, we stopped reading it about verse 18. Let's pick up there. We're going to get back to filling this God-shaped hole. John 4 and verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Woman, you did a good job. Not only is he a prophet, he's the son of God. And you're going to find that out pretty soon. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship him now, I'm sorry, ye worship him, ye know not what? We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we start adding our stuff to his Bible, you know what we've done? We've altered the puzzle piece that we're trying to put in the God-shaped hole. I I don't know how to stress this anymore. We've got to worship him in spirit and in truth, and that's the only thing that's going to fill you or satisfy you. As soon as we are adding the programs, as soon as we start acting, all the, the, the concerts and the activities, I want to have fellowship and I promote fellowship among the members, and that's fantastic. And you should have fellowship among like believers. But don't go looking for that to fill your God-shaped hole. 
You need a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to do that. And once that is established, then you can reach out. Because if you don't have that, there's not going to be any reaching out. It's not going to be effective. You've got something in there that's doing it for you. Here's a verse I want you to read. If, 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 if you don't read any other verses, let's go to this one right now, okay? Let's go to John 1. I'm oh, no, not John 1. Galatians 1 and verse 10. Galatians 1 and verse 10. <clears throat> Think about this for a second, okay? Galatians 1 and verse 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. What this verse is saying says, we ought to, in our lives, look to please God and persuade men. But I'm afraid too many times in our lives, we look to please men and we do our horse trading with God. You ever look at your prayers, your deal making? Isn't that true? Think of your prayers. We look to please men, and then we try to persuade God. We got it backwards. We got it backwards. We got to be pleasing God, and that's once we're pleasing God, we can reach out and persuade men. It doesn't work the other way around. And too many times, I'm afraid that's the way I've operated. One more verse. Let's go to 1 John 4 and 18. 1 John 4 and 18. Hopefully this is a verse that's familiar to you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. If you have God, and you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's in your God-shaped hole, you know what? You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to be mourning over not having a baby. You're not going to be mourning over your troubles if God is in your God-shaped hole. Perfect love casteth out fear. And that's what we ought to be looking to do. And any time you're looking for the other stuff to make you happy, it's not going to work. It's like flip-flopping the men, pleasing God, and persuading men. It's looking for the stuff of the world to plug your God-shaped hole, and then you're going to worship God. No, that's not the way it works. You worship God, and then the trials of life will be little bumps in the road that you're just going to cruise right over. That's the only thing that's going to work. Okay, let's try to get work covers, okay? Now I'm going to go back to my past. There was a time... When I was middle school and high school, in a lot of ways I was insecure back then. I'm pretty introverted now. You ought to see me back then. And there would be a time where, you know, when it was time to be at school, and I would say, Dad, I need a ride home. We just got done with baseball practice. Come, come pick me up. Or Mom, come pick me up. i got to admit, I did this a couple times. And I was embarrassed years after. But at the time, I said, you know, pick me up in the corner because I didn't want my friends to see me getting picked up by my parents. Okay? 
maybe it was in 11th grade and they were driving and I wasn't, I still needed to be a parent. I, I, just didn't, I just didn't want to do it. I was embarrassed. And you know what I was using to fill my God-shaped hole? What my friends thought of me. That was it. I got, I'll, I'll share this story with you. Just, just think long and hard about this, young people. I think I've shared with you before, my dad was one of 14 children. Okay, and I, I had a discussion once with my Uncle Dennis. My Uncle Dennis was the 14th out of 14 children. <clears throat> and he told me the story. And he says he's, he's wept about it and he's apologized to his mom every day for all of, all of her life. When they were in school, they had a Mother's Day and all the kids came and brought their mother. Well, you can imagine a child that was number 14 of 14 children his mom was a whole lot older than all the other moms. And he says when he got there and he looked at all the other round, other women, they were all there really nice and all dressed up. And there was mom that said, my mom looked like a grandma. And I was embarrassed and I wouldn't introduce her. This is like first or second grade. And then some time went by and it hit him what he did to his mom. And he felt so sick about it. For the next 30 or 40 years, he tried to apologize to his mom. I'm sorry for not introducing to you when I was six years old. Now, now, my grandma, his mom, forgave him a long time ago. But that just ate at him. But that was the time in his life where what people thought of him influenced him, and he tried to insert that into his God's place hole. The only thing that matters is what God thinks of you. And when you can operate in a place where what God thinks of you, you're going to face lions and tigers and bears. You're going to take on the world. That's what the difference is going to be. I've got, uh, right now, the, where I was at Mariah, we were blessed with a, a lot of young people, okay? From the time I, I, I started at pastoring Mariah to the time that I left, we were putting through three to six kids out of high school graduating a year. And most, I'd say about three quarters of them were ending up going to college. And I had many conversations with young college students saying, I gotta write this paper. Should I write what I believe and what honors God? Or should I write what the professor wants to hear? And it is ultimately you've got to lay your head down on that pillow. And and you think that A is gonna make you happy? Or you think standing up for your principles and maybe getting a B or a C and writing truth is gonna do it? Are you willing to hurt the GPA to stand for God? And some of it did it. Most of them did it. Occasionally one did it and wrote what the person wanted to do. And they came back and would tell me later on what I did was wrong. But my whole point is we ought to be pleasing God and trying to persuade men. And what we're trying to do is what, you know, the ones that compromised, what they did is they pleased men and they tried to dicker with God why they did it was okay and in the long run it was going to work out the best. You know, never going against the Lord is going to get to a positive end. I, I guarantee it just never works out that way. So, we all have a God-shaped hole. It's part of our nature. we got a dual nature. The born-again child of God still has a dual nature. We've got a flesh nature and we've got a spiritual nature. And in that flesh nature, there's a hole there. What are you going to plug that thing with? The Word of God? 
I think the psalm that Brother Richard read before service was a real good psalm. It's talking about the Word of God. The Word of God will fill it. A personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will fill it. Obedience to God will fill that God-shaped hole. But once again, don't get legalistic on me. I know all I have to do is study my Bible. Legalism never fills it either. If I memorize this Bible and I get into the stand and I read to you and I don't have to go reference anything and I can quote everything and everybody comes up to me after church and pats me on the back, there's nothing wrong with memorizing this Bible. But if my attitude is to get the pat on the back, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm even trying to take something good and twist it around and shove something into a God-shaped hole, and that's your flattery. My friends, attitude is everything. We need to be focusing on the Lord. We need to be looking for the Lord to fill us. And we're going to face the trial. The trials will come. You know, when I go to John chapter 7, I said that was going to be the last verse I lied to you. I'm sorry, we're going to go to John chapter 7. No, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. <clears throat> we're talking about these two houses. I've got to make this point. Matthew chapter 7. Let's start here at verse 24. <clears throat> now this is a 50-50 chance this will be the last verse, okay? Matthew 7 and verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth my, these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat on the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that heareth these things, these sayings of mine, and doeth them, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall. The thing I want to make the point is, which house did the storms beat on? The answer was both houses. Amen? The storm hit both houses. The storm was going to hit... God's people, and the storm is going to hit those that are not God's people. The question is, is not if the storm comes. The question is, when the storm comes, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in your God-shaped hole? And if you do, you're not going to fall. And if you jam something else in there, when the storm comes, great is going to be the fall. This message is not about legalism. It's about talking about using the Lord to fill your God-shaped hole, and then you can weather the storm. The storm is going to hit both houses. Brother, Brother Richard had all kinds of storms hit him last week. He told me about it. Amen? Yeah. And here he is smiling, and he's in church. I think he had God in that God-shaped hole. Maybe not the first day, but sooner or later it got there. Amen? Okay, Sister Cindy just put his hand on his knee, so maybe it was the third day. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'll leave that between him and God. But, but, but there's a point in time where the only thing that's going to get the storms will hit you every day. But you've got to put God in your God-shaped hole. That other stuff will not work. It won't stand. It'll be loose. It'll rust. It'll decay. It won't work. There's only one thing that fits. I pray this has been exciting for you. I pray it's been comforting. Maybe it's been a charge. I don't know. I don't know what you're putting in God-shaped holes. Wood, hay, and stubble doesn't make it work. Put the gold in there. Thank you.